Good morning. Philippians chapter 4, if you'll turn in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 4. Today I will encourage you to rejoice. And again I say rejoice. I will encourage you to think on these things. But most importantly, today I will encourage you to do all things in the Lord. Do all things in the Lord. So I provided a handout for you today. I don't always do that, but there's so much in this little chapter that I wanted, uh, I wanted you to have the opportunity to record uh, a, a note or two as you move through the message. Maybe the Lord speaks to you in a certain way. There's plenty of room on either the front or the back of that handout for you to jot down what the Lord is saying to you through his word and hopefully through his messenger. But that's what that is there for. And uh, if you miss one of the blanks or, or whatever, you know, one of the points today is don't worry about anything. So feel free to come talk to me afterwards. I'll, I'll get you caught up if necessary. I... Rhonda and I and Joe and Sarah Scott uh, and uh, several other travelers from both Murfreesboro and across the country have had the privilege of being in the Holy Land for about two weeks. And uh, we arrived back late Thursday night and I am uh, suffering uh, somewhat from jet lag at this point in time. It's an amazing phenomenon. Uh, you are wide awake at the wrong times and uh, kind of sleepy and ready to crash uh, at, the, uh, at the wrong times. So uh, it, it's uh, an interesting uh, challenge today. So uh, I hope that I have sufficiently lowered uh, your expectations uh, of, of, of what this uh, is going to be, what this message will be as well. And I will also tell you that I was um, coming into yesterday morning uh, it's a beautiful morning. I was up at four uh, because of the jet lag. And uh, the Lord allowed me about four or five hours um, uh, to enjoy uh, the, the beautiful day. And I uh, got my day going. And uh, then I got a call from my mom. My dad uh, has um, suffered yet again another fall. And so we spent most of uh, yesterday in the emergency room. Uh, with him working through some of those issues. He's stable at this point in time. He's back at, uh, at Adam's place. We're thankful for that. But I somehow found myself up there without any of my technology. Uh, no phone, no iPad, no computer. And so um, you, you understand what I'm doing here, right? I'm lowering the expectations. <laughs> uh, but no matter what sorry excuse I give you, this is the word of the Lord. And this is Philippians. And this is Philippians 4. So, Philippians 4 is one of my favorite chapters in the Bible. Uh, I was so blessed to be able to bring Philippians, a message to you on Philippians 1 about three weeks ago. And, uh, but I will point out, as I did then, that Philippians uh, chapter 4 is not my favorite chapter in Philippians. And Philippians 1 wasn't either. And so, as the Lord wills, one of these days I'm going to get to Philippians 2 because that's where I want to go. I love Philippians chapter 2. 
Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. Ron and I were talking about this on the way to church. Philippians chapter 4, verse 8, which is one of the verses that we'll read today, is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. Finally, brothers. And, and everybody loves it when the pastor says, finally, brothers. But I'm using this in my introduction. So, But Paul says in Philippians chapter 4, verse 8, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, what is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What a beautiful verse. That's what we Christians need to be doing. It's so easy for us to think about things that are not true, not honorable, not just, not pure, not lovely, not commendable, not excellent, not worthy of praise. But Paul, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is telling us that we are to think on these things. One of my favorite verses. And of course, there's Philippians chapter 4, verse 13, probably the, one of the most misinterpreted, misunderstood Bible verses in the entire scriptures. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. But just because it's sometimes misunderstood and misapplied, it doesn't change the beauty. I love that verse. And you may remember that I pointed out that the book of Philippians has many passages that are very suitable for prayer. And it's always good to pray the scriptures. Pray it back to the one who wrote it in the first place. And there's a particular prayer in Philippians chapter 1 that I love. And I want to pray that over you again. It is a prayer of blessing. And I would like to pray it. Not only as it applied to the church at Philippi that Paul planted, started, nourished, cared for, tended, stayed in regular communication to. Not only is it good for them, not only was it good for them, but it's good for us too. And so I would like to personally pray that prayer over all the believers here at Blackman Baptist. Father, today I pray this passage from Philippians chapter 1 over all the believers here at Blackman Baptist Church. Please hear and answer our prayer. And it is my prayer for all of you that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Amen. Do all things in the Lord. Do all things in the Lord. Verse 1. Philippians chapter 4. Therefore my brothers whom I love and long for. My joy and crown. Stand firm. Thus in the Lord my beloved. Do all things in the Lord. First stand firm in the Lord. Easier said than done to stand firm in the Lord. We look at verse 1 of chapter 4 and we ask ourselves, is this, verse, is this verse really the first verse in chapter 4? Or is it the last verse in chapter 3? Because it really seems to be referring back to everything that Paul said up to this point. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord. He's referring back to everything that came 
earlier in the letter. And I will remind you that, and I think you can see it in Philippians better than in, in most books of the Bible, that the writer did not divide the writings into chapters. That came later. So when you're looking at Philippians, it's really not good to look at just Philippians 4. You need to look at Philippians 1, 2, and 3 because it's all connected. It all matters. And so when we look at this command to stand firm in the Lord, Paul is referring to everything he said up to this point. Stand firm in the Lord. But it's also going to apply to everything that he's about to say as well. We are to do all things in the Lord. We are to stand firm in the Lord. We are to agree in the Lord. Verse 2. Paul says, I entreat Euodia and I entreat Syntyche. I know that we've had some babies born and we've had some babies that are about to be born. So here's some great names for, for <laughs> girls. Um, I, I talked to Weston about this, but he did not go. Mary just ruled out Euodia. And sympathy was not a possibility for a name. But Paul says, I entreat Euodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Paul says, stand firm in the Lord, but he also says, well, when you stand it, you need to agree in the Lord. And that's, once again, easier said than done. Agreement is um, sometimes elusive, but always to be desired. And you know, when you read Corinthians, you know that the church at Corinth had a lot of problems. And you read Galatians, and you know that the churches of Galatia had a lot of problems. And basically, every church has a lot of problems. But when you read through Philippians, and it's a short book, and you can easily read through it in one day in your devotion, and I would encourage you to do that, you don't really see any problems that pop out that where Paul just has to take them to the woodshed and wear them out. But here's a little one here. There was a lack of agreement amongst the brothers and, and the sisters in the Lord, but we are commanded to agree in the Lord. He's begging these two ladies to agree in the Lord. And then he asks for help from somebody else. We're don't, not sure who that true companion is. But he asked that true companion to help these women. Because we have all labored side by side for the furtherance of the gospel. And then he names Clement. You may hear that Christianity suppresses women and would deny them their basic rights and that Christianity is oppressive. But I will say to you that no thought system or religion has done more for the advancement of women in the world than the gospel of Jesus Christ. This week, last two weeks, we had the privilege of standing at three of the holiest places on the face of the earth, we stood at the Dome of the Rock for the Muslims. We stood at the Wailing Wall for the Jewish people. We were at the Garden Tomb for Christianity. And I will tell you this, Christianity loves men and women. But we need to get along. 
And we need to agree in the Lord. Stand firm in the Lord. Agree in the Lord. And then Paul says, rejoice in the Lord. And then he echoes it and he says, and again I say, rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. It's, a, it's repetition. But we need to hear repetition because we're hard-headed, hard-hearted, stubborn, distracted. And so I think we're seeing again here maybe another little problem that was in the church here at Philippi. Maybe there was some discontent. Maybe there was some murmuring and complaining. Not that that would ever happen here. Not that that would ever happen in any other church. We had the opportunity to be in the wilderness for a very brief time, maybe a day or two. And Ron and I both commented that if we were trying to walk through this mess and we knew that we had a long way to walk and we didn't know where the food was coming from, where the water was coming from, I will never look at those passages again and judge those people because 40 minutes in the wilderness was enough to put me in serious trouble. First thing I want to make sure that you understand that Paul's telling us now as he wraps up his letter to the church at Philippi is that we are to do all things in the Lord. Stand firm in the Lord. Agree in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. Now how? How are we going to do all things? Verse 5. How to do all things in the Lord. This is how we're to do it. Let your reasonableness one translation says graciousness, which I prefer because I didn't actually say that word. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. It's one thing to say to each other, hey, we need to do everything in the Lord. But this is how you do it. Number one, we are to be gracious to everyone. We are to be reasonable to everyone. Verse 5, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. We are supposed to have a reputation for being reasonable, gracious people. And Paul doesn't let you off the hook there because not only are you supposed to be reasonable and gracious to some people, you got to be reasonable and gracious to everyone. That is a pretty wide category. Are we gracious to everyone? I know I'm not. I love the discussion in Sunday school this morning about how Paul in Romans encourages us to reach out to the lowly. And Brian pointed out that we have trouble point reaching out to the lowly sometimes because we think we're the highly. And we certainly do think too highly of ourselves, don't we? Be gracious to everyone. This is how we are to do all things in the Lord. Be gracious to everyone. Number two, don't worry about anything. Verse six, do not be anxious about anything. Don't worry about anything. Easier said than done. I look across the congregation this morning and I know that there are people who are worried about the health of their parents. I know that there are people here who are worried about upcoming surgeries. I know that there are people here worried about where their children are going to be this summer and what they're going to be doing and going off to college and this challenge and that challenge and how in the world are we going to do VBS when we don't even have enough teachers? 
Oh, sorry, Kenny. We need two more teachers, don't we? But Paul says, this is how you do it. You're not to worry about anything. Now, that doesn't mean we don't pay attention to the details. It doesn't mean we don't concern ourselves with how things are to be done and all things should be done decently and in order. But the worry about these things should not consume our lives to the point that we're not effective for the Lord. Verse 5 says, Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything. And I think that that little phrase there that's kind of tucked in there, the Lord is at hand, that's the key for how we be reasonable and gracious to everyone. And that's the key for how we don't allow worry or anxiety to control our lives. If we could come to grips with the fact that the Lord is at hand, then we're going to treat everybody with a certain level of respect that the Lord requires. If we could come to grips with the fact that the Lord is at hand, why worry? There's no reason to worry. The Lord is at hand. And by the way, Paul says, don't worry about the small stuff. Don't worry about the big stuff. Don't worry about anything. There again, be gracious to everyone. That's pretty broad. Don't worry about anything. That's pretty broad. And then he says, in everything. Once again, that's pretty broad. In everything, the third thing he says on how to do this in the Lord. In everything, pray and petition with thanksgiving. Are you praying about everything? Well, I promise you this. If you will be gracious to everyone because the Lord is at hand. If you will not worry about things because the Lord is at hand. If you pray about everything. If you make your prayers and petitions known to the Lord about everything. Guess what? Something follows from that. Verse 7, Paul says, And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. What a promise. What a blessing. Peace. The peace of God guarding your hearts and your minds. And you know what? The peace of God surpasses all understanding. We are to do all things in the Lord. We are... And we talk about how to do all things in the Lord with graciousness, free of worry, praying and petitioning the Lord. And while we're doing this, this is how you're supposed to think. The third point. This is how you're supposed to think while you're doing all those things in the Lord. Verse 8. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable. If there is any excellence... If there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. I think we, we have some doctors in our friendship and fellowship, and they tell me that there's a reason why a doctor's work is called practice. Well, you know what? A Christian's work is called practice, too. We don't get it right so many times. But we don't stop. In the Lord, we know that we will persevere. 
if we trust in him, if we rely on him, and if we keep practicing. And Paul says, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. And there's another promise there. It is again, and the God of peace will be with you. Paul is concerned about peace, and we as Christians should be concerned about peace too, because there's very little of it in the world today. Think on these things. Are you thinking on these things, or are you thinking about what's on TV? Are you thinking on these things, or are you spending all your time on Facebook, or Google, or whatever it is that you're searching for? Are you thinking on these things? Are you following Paul's example? Are you walking in peace? So we're supposed to do all things in the Lord. We've talked about how to do all things in the Lord. We've talked about what we're to be thinking when we are doing these things in the Lord. What we're to be thinking. And now let's talk about how to make do while doing all things in the Lord. Verse 10, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I've learned in whatever situation I am, to be content. I know how to be brought low. And I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance. I've learned the secret. Of facing plenty and hunger. Abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. How do we make do. As we're seeking to do all things in the Lord. Number one we got to learn how to make do with a little. We got to learn how to make do with a lot. In the brief history of this church, we've had a little and we've had a lot. You're sitting in a lot. This is amazing. Amen. And if you can remember when we didn't have this, you know that we've had a little. Paul says, do not concentrate on your outward circumstances. Look at who's providing everything for you anyway. Learn how to make do with a little. Learn how to make do with a lot. By the way, making do with a lot is more of a challenge than making do with a little. Because when you have a little and you're in the Lord, you'll figure out a way. He'll guide you to it. You have fewer options then. Decisions are easier. But when you have a lot, hmm, that's a real challenge. But Paul says, I've learned the secret of being low. I've learned the secret of being high. And then... He tells the Philippians to be content, be happy with what you have, be happy with where you are, and do all things through Christ. We're doing everything in the Lord. We're doing it through Christ. And then just to make sure that you don't worry too much, because we have a tendency to worry a little bit about what we're going to do, how we're going to do it, how the Lord will provide. Then he tells us how we will be supplied while doing all things in the Lord. Verse 14, Paul says, Yet it was kind of you to share in my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving, except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, 
a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to, my, to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. How will we be supplied? How will we do the work that God has assigned to us here at Blackman Baptist Church? How will we reach this neighborhood for the Lord Jesus Christ? This city for the Lord Jesus Christ? This nation for the Lord Jesus Christ? In this world? How will we do that? Well, it may seem counterintuitive, but the way to get is to give. Paul says give. And he commands the Philippians for all the occurrences where they gave, where they partnered with him in the gospel. And he's quick to point out, hey, I don't need this. But whatever you give is going to be used for the advancement of the ministry. Share. Give. Share. Be fully supplied. Rest in the knowledge that God will supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. That's another one of my favorite verses in Philippians chapter 4, verse 19. I hope it's one of yours as well. And it's interesting, in verse 19, Paul says, And my God, this is personal to Paul. He says, And my God will supply all your needs. Why didn't he say, And our God? Well, with Paul, it was personal. I'll tell you that. Paul knew. Paul's near the end of his life. These are his last words to the church at Philippi. And he wants them to know that God has been faithful. And he says, and my God will supply all your needs. David says, I was young and now I'm old. And I've never seen the righteous children begging for bread. Paul knew that God would supply everything necessary for the advancement of the work. And so in verse 19, Paul says, And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. And then he, then he goes and he says, To our God. Our God and Father. Because Paul wanted them to know even though he was speaking from his own personal experience about my God supplying all your needs, he wanted them to know that they're part of the fellowship. It's our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. If you heard anything today, I, heard, I, I pray that you heard this. If you heard anything, I heard that you pray, heard this, that we are to do all things in the Lord. Everything. Christian, are you, are you being gracious to everyone? Are you worrying about anything? Are you praying with thanksgiving? Do you have the peace of God guarding your heart and your mind? Are you thinking on all those wonderful things that Paul listed? Are you following my example? Are you making do with a little or are you making do with a lot? Are you content? Christian, are you doing all things through Christ? Are you giving? Are you sharing? Well, I'll tell you this. If you're doing all those things, then I, I promise you that your needs are being supplied. Is your manner of life worthy of the gospel of Christ? Are you standing firm side by side? 
with your fellow laborers? Those are the questions that I have for the Christians, the believers that are here, for the unbelievers that are here. What a dreadful term. I have a few questions for you. Have you seen Wheel of Fortune? Wheel of Fortune. Somebody almost always wins something pretty big. Normally everybody wins a little bit, but sometimes when Wheel of Fortune is going on, you have a contestant who didn't win any of the puzzles. And so Pat Sajak says, hey, so sorry it didn't work out for you tonight. Uh, we have some parting gifts and we're going to give you $1,000 or whatever it is. So that's what happens on Wheel of Fortune. Or maybe you've seen Survivor where the two tribes or three tribes, whatever it is, compete and one tribe gets the big prize and the other tribe gets nothing. And so the host of the show says, head back to camp, I got nothing for you. Well, to the unbeliever, I would say, uh, there are no parting gifts. It's worse than Survivor, where the host says, I got nothing for you. And you may think that God is saying, I got nothing for you, but, and that that's some kind of neutrality and that it's going to be okay, but no, it's not. It's worse than that. God has got something for you. You're headed towards judgment. You've rejected Christ, so guess what you get? You could spend eternity without him. Why? Why are you still resisting? Why don't you give in? He loves you. God has already given you the greatest gift of all. What do you have to lose? Everything that the world values. What do you have to gain? Your soul.